it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. I, I don't know you folks. You folks are interested or not, but uh, I mean, I'm kind of new in the biz- in this business. There's a possibility you might want to know something that, about me. I used to be in, I, I used I used to be a perfect, professional football player. <laughs> I played tight end. <laughs> Come to think of it, I was as tight as stand in the whole league. <laughs> Of course, I don't play in any any sports anymore. But uh, I mean, uh, I quit that a long time ago. But I, I do everything I can to support all of the athletic events that come along. You know, in fact, in my hometown, I was known as the number one athletic supporter. <laughs> In France, they called me Jacques. <laughs> From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got an interesting one in store today. Uh, are you ready for some football? We're going to talk football this first hour with uh, sports writer Eric Zweig, who uh, teamed up with um, National Geographic Kids and ESPN for a book called It's a Numbers Game, Football, to teach kids kids how digits and math factor into football it's interesting uh take on it and of course with all the net geo projects they're all great so it'll be fun talking with uh, sports writer and author eric zweig coming up in just a few minutes in the third half of our three-hour tour um we're going to talk with um kevin shoe about a screenplay that was just released to the International Screenplay Circuit um, back in February and so far has won 43 international awards. Um, 
It's being described as a feel-good action-adventure sci-fi blend of Stand By Me meets Raiders of the Lost Ark or Back to the Future meets Goonies. <laughs> it's called Bad Love Tigers by Kevin Shu, and Kevin will uh, join me by phone during the third half of our three-hour tour. In the middle, we're going to make up for uh, a, a uh, misconnect last week. Last Thursday, a uh, week ago yesterday, I had scheduled all three candidates for mayor in the city of Flint. Um, next Tuesday is the primary election, and the top two candidates will go on and, and compete in November. And those candidates are uh, incumbent mayor Sheldon Neely, former Flint mayor Karen Weaver, and First Ward City Councilman uh, Eric Mays. And um, it's, it's widely projected that Karen Weaver and uh, uh, Sheldon Neely will face off in November, creating sort of a rematch of the last mayoral election. Um, and so it's uh, going to be interesting to see um, how that all plays out. But last uh, Thursday, a week ago yesterday, I had scheduled all three of the candidates to be on the show, and for some reason, um, I wasn't able to connect up with, uh, with Karen Weaver. And so I played an interview with Karen Weaver from the last election, or I guess from the recall election that happened. Um, in any event, I filled the time that I didn't have Karen Weaver with Karen Weaver. In the meantime, I heard from her campaign about rescheduling that interview. And we have that coming up in about an hour or so. I'll be talking with former Flint mayor and candidate Karen Weaver. Now, when you skip a term, can you still call it re-election? I don't know, but we'll we'll talk about her... Uh, interest in serving as mayor again. Um, Sheldon Neely did a repeat uh, uh, appearance um, Wednesday this week to talk about the uh, pension program at the city of Flint and how it's uh, uh, been shored up with uh, some funding from I think the state and feds um, and gave us a kind of a tutorial on how the city's uh, pension system works, but we're going to talk about that and all kinds of other things with Karen Weaver coming up, like I say, in about an hour or so. In the meantime, um, let's, uh, let's talk football. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour teamed up with National Geographic Kids and ESPN to explain math in football <laughs> in a new book for young uh, for young readers. It called "It's a Numbers Game Football," and he is in fact a professional sports writer who once had. Uh, Joe Theismann uh, sign his cast. His name is Eric Zweig, and he joins me by phone. Good morning, Eric. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. 
Now, just I, I was going to ask you just before we went on the air because I, I couldn't I couldn't help when I saw it in my notes. How did you end up getting Joe Feisman to sign your cast? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I, I often when I talk to people and I tell them the story about it, it was when Joe Feisman had broken his ankle and they envision the Monday Night Football Lawrence Taylor, you know, most gruesome injury in the history of sports. <laughs> but when Joe Feisman was a young guy out of uh, Notre Dame and Toronto sort of stole him away from the NFL. And he came up to Toronto, uh, led the Argos to the Grey Cup in 1971. Or They didn't win, but that was the first year I started watching football, and I really became a fan of Joe Theismann. He had a book in Toronto about quarterbacking that, that he had done. And the next year, early in the season, and it really wrecked the season, he, he broke his ankle. And my father and I used to go to most of the Argo games. And I had broken my arm that summer, and he had broken his ankle. And, and we went down to the, when the team was coming out of the tunnel onto the field. You know, my dad said, let's go. And, and, and they came by. And I can still remember my, my dad sort of like cheering for, for Seisman as he came out. And I was a little bit shy. And my dad pushed me forward and said, you know, Joe, will, will you sign, sign my son's cast? And he hobbled out on his crutches, and he smiled when he said it. But I, it, 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 you can tell it was the early 70s. He said, well, kids, signing cast isn't exactly my bag, but he <laughs> smiled and grabbed a pen and signed my cast. Oh, that's funny. How old were you at the time, Eric? I would have been uh, eight, about to turn nine, a little bit later into the fall. Oh, that had to be huge. You, you must have just yes. You must have just walked around holding your cast out for people. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really did. It's funny, I had uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs player had signed it. I was at the... Uh, Canadian National Exhibition probably might have been in the same day. Um, and Gary Monahan, who played for the Leafs at the time, had signed it, and Joe Theismann, who was the quarterback for the Argos. So I was, I was pretty pleased, and I, I kept it for years afterwards until it sort of kind of rotted away. Oh, that's <laughs> fun. How did you get hooked up with uh, Nat Geo Kids and ESPN for this, uh, for this book? It's a numbers game football. Yeah, I I had done a couple of books for them previously, um, but I've lost track of the dates. But the first one I did for them was a, a skinny little volume called Everything Sports, which I kind of joked, everything sports is the same as like nothing sports, because it was like a sentence about every sport you could think of. It was <laughs> it was a short little quickie, like just quick hits and, and lists and things. Um, and And then uh, a couple years after that, they came back to me, they, they had a new series. They're always doing, you know, they, their books are great. It's fun to do the books for them. Uh, they had a new series called Absolute Expert was this series, and they paired the writers with experts in a certain field. And they wanted me to do soccer, and I thought, like, I am the furthest thing from an, abs- from a, from an expert on soccer. But it's like, don't worry, we'll pair you with a, they paired me with Mark Geiger, who was a, an American referee in, uh, in the major soccer league and, and international games. And he was great to work with. Um, and then they kind of came back to me like they'd started this new series, and there's already been a, a basketball and a football and a soccer. And they said, how'd you like to do the, the other football, the American football? And I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And Patrick Mahomes was the sort of celebrity guest. He wrote the forward to this one. But I got to work very closely with Mark on that one. I did not have any contact with Patrick Mahomes for this one. With um, with this book, it's a numbers game, and it and it promises to teach kids – how math factors into football. How much of it is is how much of football is math and how much of it is statistics? 
Well, it's funny. When they first kind of came to me about the book, and I said, you know, I'm not the world's best math guy. I'm more like a, a, a history, geography uh, of, of sports. Like, I like the stories of where the game came from and, and stuff like that. And they said, don't worry, statistics will count plenty for this. And then after the first draft of the book, I mean, maybe some of the other ones had already come out, it was like, no, we need more math. So <laughs> we had to go back and kind of math it up. I was much happier when it was just like, hey, here's the all-time leading rushers in NFL history. Here's the all-time leading passers. But now I had to actually, like, read up on the science and the math. Like, one of the trickier things is, like, I had a little story about deflate gate, and I had to explain pounds per square inch. And that that took some Googling and some some doing. I would think. You know, I've seen um, billiards used to describe geometry. In fact, it's about the only way I can understand yeah, geometry. Yeah. But it's um but I aside from stats, I couldn't really imagine what the math is, you know, in football other than well, you know, I I I know the the field is so many yards and you know all of that, but um where where does the math come in and and how can it well, be it, used it is, by the players? Sorry. It, it, well, how it's used by the players is interesting because, I mean, really, it is a lot of statistics. Like, hey, you want to know how many yards this guy threw for in the game? Just add up all the passes he he completed, and there you go. I mean, a lot of it is that. I mean, the pounds per square inch, is that I had to explain it, but there's not a whole great in-depth explanation or discussion of how footballs get inflated or anything like that. But in, in the introduction he writes, Patrick Mahomes, I was very curious to see what he would write and what he'd have to say. And he does mostly talk about numbers more than science or math. I mean, he talks about managing the clock. He talks about, you know, we know how many points we're down or how many yards we need and and, and what we have to drive to score this touchdown. But he also talks about the angles that receivers... And I, I, I have no idea, to be honest, how much a receiver thinks about that. But even I knew as a kid, like playing high school football, uh, you know, you know, on on a down and in, you cut at a ninety degree angle. At a at a post, you cut at a forty five degree angle. I mean, it's not like we ran out there with protractors and measured it on the right. field, but it gave you it gave you an idea of what the pattern was supposed to look like. And I do talk about you know, it's funny, like in, in the in, even about something as simple as what we think of as blocking is just like two big guys banging into each other. But there's a lot of science. There's a lot of, like, I, I can't remember how much of this survived into the final. I have to look at the pages. But I remember, you know, kind of making jokes about Sir Isaac Newton. And, you know, he, he might not have been much of a football player, but, but a lot of the, the properties he discussed about physics and motion are, are how you would throw a proper block. Like, it's how you distribute your weight, how you, how you, you know, you use, like, how a smaller guy can knock down a bigger guy by, you know, hitting him at a low center of gravity and things like that. I mean, it's not my specialty either, so I really had to, you know, see what more expert people had, had said about these kinds of things. And they did have, I mean, they had football people look at this book, and I hope the football people went, okay, he did a good job. Um, I'm sure the math and science people had to, you know, kind of smack their foreheads a little bit, because I noticed, I noticed in the pounds per square inch, I was reading it this morning before, before I was going to start talking to people like you, and it's like, oh, I think somebody must have scienced this up a bit, because I can't believe I used a phrase like that. More with sports writer Eric Zweig, 
straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with sports writer Eric Zweig, straight ahead. That's one of the nice things about working for National Geographic is they have a wide reach and a lot of people they can call on. So, Oh, and amazing photos. And amazing photos yes, and layout yes. and stuff. Yep. They, they always yep. have the best, not, not only in the original material, but in the reproductions. They're just... Yep. That's a that's a first class operation. But when we get back to, you know, talking about about math, how much has technology injected math in the analysis of of uh, games like football? Well, you know, football, baseball really is, you know, we think of all these, you know, sabermetrics and the new math. Hockey has all sorts of new analytic numbers. Football, I mean, football, they can just show you cooler stuff. Like, they can, like, you know, how fast a guy was running on that play is now a stat they can track. Um, but in terms of football, I mean, I don't think that much has changed. It's still yards at a time, how many yards to go, how many how many yards on that drive, where are we from the end zone. Um, so, I, I, in a sense, I don't think these new analytic numbers, though I'm sure coaches are seeing things they didn't used to because of this, but I think those of us as fans, I think new, like new fancy science and math probably isn't affecting the way we watch football as much as maybe it is the other sports. But, but there's just so many numbers in football. I mean, you look at a football field, you know, you can't help but think, oh, yeah, numbers. You know, there's a five, there's a ten. There's, like, there's, there's just so many, you know, first and goal, second and long, first and ten. You know, there's just there's so many numbers in football. But I think more old school numbers than new new style numbers. I remember uh, being in marching band and having these routines to do on the field, and and of course um, we were in squads of four and and divided between line markers, so five yards right. for every squad of four, and we would do these pinwheels and all these you know routines, and then land in what was called a parade position. It was just a stationary spot from which you were <laughs> going to play a song. And there was a Did squad... Did you ever... Oh, sorry, go ahead. There was a squad that was five yards off. <laughs> and they were right. <laughs> it was one no, of the sorry, funniest I moments remember, ever. I, I was never... Marching bands, I'm, I'm a Canadian, we don't think we've discussed this. I'm actually a Canadian. I, I grew up in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and sometimes... American college bands would come up for halftime shows at the Argos game. And because the CFL field is five yards longer and has, you know, 55 as the midline, they would often have to put, they would put like cardboard markers down on the field to give it like, so the marching bands from the States could, wouldn't have to deal with the 55 and could just sort of imagine themselves as the American hundred yard field instead of the Canadian hundred and ten yard field. I remember that very clearly about marching bands when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I many, many years ago, um, I was in a band traveling around. I played in Toronto at the uh, Ramada Inn at the on the 
at the Don Valley Parkway. Is that still? Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up not too far from there. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I saw that you were from Canada. Is is there a lot of um, crossover for, like you, for example, um, as a professional sports writer to write about things in the States, or do you keep it pretty much about Canadian sports? Well, most of the work I do has been hockey-related. I worked for 20-plus years for a small publishing company in Toronto that did the media stuff for the NHL before everything went online. Um, so, I mean, you know, hockey's a Canadian game, but more, there's, <laughs> more of the NHL teams are based in the States than in Canada. Um, so you know, I guess there's a crossover in that way. And it's interesting that they, because, you know, National Geographic sells these books in Canada as well as the United States, they were happy to have me include some, but not a lot, but some Canadian football. So all of the preview sections where it's like, hey, here's, you know, seven great quarterbacks of all time. One's always from the CFL. And, and, and I tried to, you know, like in the, in the quarterback section, it's Doug Flutie, who most Americans know already. But Flutie came up to Canada in the middle of his NFL career for like eight seasons. And, and was the most outstanding player in the CFL six times in those eight years. He, like, man, Canadian football was, was or, or Flutie was born for Canadian football, you know, with the bigger field and the wider, the wider distances and the, and the, the extra man and the more moving. Like, Flutie, Flutie was just something to watch. I mean, everybody sort of remembers him for the, the Boston College, that, that one great play. And, and, uh, kind of failed NFL career, though he had a bit of success in Buffalo after he left Toronto. Um, but, man, he was something to watch in Canadian football. Hey, for young people who read this book, um, again, it's uh, from National Geographic Kids and ESPN. It's a numbers game football written by Eric Zweig, my guest this morning. Um, when they read this book, do they get a better appreciation for math or football? <laughs> I I think they will get a better appreciation for football, but they will. I mean, it's kind of the math is a little bit sneaky, right? I mean, <laughs> I guess like I, uh, like like simple things in some cases where I had written originally. You know, a uh, a football game is made up of you know four quarters of fifteen minutes each, and it was like, no, no, no. Can you rewrite that as you know, if a football game is four quarters of fifteen minutes each, how many minutes is that in total? And it's like, oh, okay, I see math. Um, you know, but some of the some of the math is a little more intricate than that. But, but no, I, I think I mean I, I I think they will come to realize as as Patrick Mahomes explains in the forward that there's you know there's a lot of it's not so much math but concepts like you know he has to manage the clock he has to know how much time before this is going to happen so it's that's in a sense that's a math problem how far down the field do we have to go well we have to go you know 80 yards and we only have a short time left in the game we're going to have to do this quickly and you know longer chunks of of yardage he talks a little bit about the angles the the players run at and and the the you know the force behind how hard he's going to have to throw but i don't even think you know he's not thinking hmm scientifically how much pressure and force do i have to put on this ball it's it's sort of innate right like you know, the, the the stereotype of football players is that they're big and dumb, but they're not. I mean, there's a lot going on in football. Um, so I think, I mean, honest to God, I think like the math in this is just kind of expanding your brain and making you realize 
you know, that there's kind of math in the world. I don't think it's going to necessarily make you better at math in school, but it will... I like, always, like, when they were teaching us math, you'd think, like, what are the practical applications? When am I ever going to use this in real life? And most of us don't become, you know, math teachers or scientists or, or people who, or even accountants who, you know, actively use math every day. But just the awareness that, you know, there's a lot more math and science in the world than you might think, and it helps to know a little about this. I think that's more the sort of math you're going to come away from this book with. But also, you know, if you do the little, there are a few problem solvings. There's these pencil power sections in the book. I mean, it'll help you with your math, too. But I, I think, you know, people who are already good at math are not going to suddenly go, oh, gee, you know, I should pay more attention to football because look at all the math. And kids who love football but are terrible at math aren't probably going to suddenly become math geniuses. But I, I think it'll help. I mean, it, it, you know, as I say, you'll be aware of how much sort of math is in the real world. You know, I think I think a fun question for the book would have been, if there are four 15-minute quarters in a game, how is it the average football game takes an <laughs> yeah, hour and 45 three hours minutes? Yeah. yeah, that was certainly in my mind as I was writing it. I and bet. it's funny, like, all sports, all sports seem to take longer to play now. I mean, partly it's the more commercial timeouts and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I have to say, part of the reason as I get older that I like the history of sports more is because, the games are too long and bloated now. Like, I can't stand that a baseball game takes three and a half hours. A football game can take three and a half hours. It's crazy. I mean, they used to, they used to always sort of know it would be over in two hours and change when I was growing up. Two and a half hours tops. And that seemed long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we love it. We love the game. But, you know, four 15-minute quarters taking two hours, it, you know, that's a long time. That's a lot of breaks. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, this is, all right, so here's my pet peeve in basketball. I'm not a huge basketball fan. But in Toronto, when the Raptors won the championship in 2019, and Kawhi in the quarterfinals, I guess, against Philadelphia, had that great last-second shot to, you know, bounce, 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 bounce off the rim and in, the last minute 23 of that game took, like, 12 minutes to play, which means <laughs> there's almost 11 minutes where nothing's happening. I mean, uh, like, that, that makes me crazy. Right, right, exactly. Um, what age is uh, do you, do you think this book is uh, targeted at? Well, I think they sort of say 10 to 12, and that's kind of, on the one hand, that's what I had in my mind, and on the other hand, I don't make a lot of concessions to that. I kind of, I guess I sort of write the kind of stories that I, I think I remember I would have liked to read when I was a boy. Um, and I also I also know that, you know, with the hockey books, you know, plenty of adults tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I bought it for my son or my daughter, but I read it, and it's great. So I I think you can enjoy this book at any age, but it is really kind of aimed at about 12-year-olds, I think. How long a process was it to, to assemble <laughs> this? I know there are a lot of pieces, parts, and a lot of people that work on it, um, you know, in in tandem with you. Yeah, well, it's interesting like, as you'd said about the, the photographs, like, when it came together and I first saw the the layout with the pages, and I'd seen some of the, the previous, I think I'd only, I'd seen the basketball book and the soccer book, which had already, were in process, progress before I even started this. But to see it with all the pictures in place, it was like, wow, this is really cool, because, you know, when I'm writing it, it's, it's hard to imagine. Um, I worked with two different editors on this. The photo people, you know, 
aren't really involved with me, except that they eventually have to send me a list and they like me to write the captions, which, because, you know, there's not, there's a ton of photos and there's a lot of text, the captions can just be as simple as the guy's name or what two teams are in this picture. Um, but there are a lot of people. And this one actually, I mean, the process for this book was quite long, which had nothing to do with the, the difficulty of the book or anything. It was the fact, I think, that National Geographic got sold twice during the process <laughs> of my working on this. They went from Fox, I, mean, I guess, maybe, I'm not even sure who owned them, maybe they were their own company. They went from Fox and then to Disney, and each time it was like it delayed production a little bit and things got pushed back. So I had originally been contacted um, in the spring of 2019, expecting this book would be out in 2020, and it just kept getting pushed back. So I would have, and it was funny, the sort of the things like, like when I started writing this, uh, Drew Brees held most of the passing records, like for career yardage and stuff. And during last season, Tom Brady passed most of them. And it was like, scramble, scramble, scramble. All right, on this page, we have to change this to that. And on that page, we have to change that to this. Um, and even that, like I had to update it, like it was written through the 2019 season. Then we had to kind of update everything through 2020 and then 2021. And there wasn't really enough time to finish that. But fortunately, Brady broke some of those records and Matt Prater kicked that 66 yard record breaking field goal. Or was it? No, it wasn't Prater. Prater had the old record. Um, so it was like, Oh, can we get that in? Can we get that in? So we, we did manage to get most of the, most of the important things in, but it was, it was a lot of. This, this way was a longer process than most of the books I work on, but it wasn't because the book was difficult or the people were difficult. It was just the timelines kept getting stretched. And so in a sports book, I mean, if you're writing about dolphins or dinosaurs, you know, they might occasionally make new discoveries, but this was like, man, everything has to change. So it was, that made it difficult. How much of a role did the pandemic play in, in the updating process? In, in this case, it didn't. It's funny. I have... Between this book, which is coming out today, and I have another book. Like I, I have four books coming out between now and November, which would have kind of dribbled out over the last couple of years. But, but mostly delays in being able to get things printed. Uh, you know, pr- uh, what are the supply chain delays? You know, printers weren't having enough paper, and so I was scrambling to meet deadlines, and we'd deliver it, and then the printers would go, "Oh, we'll have it for you in four months." It's like, oh, we thought that would be out, you know, now. Um, so that, but it's funny with this one, which actually had the longest delay of all these books, but had the least, the least to do with the pandemic. When you're writing, uh, something like this, uh, for Nat Geo, something that's going to be photo intensive, um, are you given sort of an outline of where pictures might appear and write around that or is that something that happens all in the editing prices or uh, process um, you you don't write and write and write and then place photo here <laughs> well it, it was that it's funny that was that was maybe I mean I probably wrote in the first draft or two too much text because it was, oh, this is a good story, we've got to get this in, we've got to get this in. And I always sort of knew, God, it's going to look so crowded when they start putting uh, photos on these pages. So I, in my brain, I sort of knew to be, you know, keep it short, keep it as concise as you can. Um, but certainly when the photos started going in, we'd suddenly go, all right, we're going to have to, which, which one of these spreads on this page are we going to lose? And go, ah, oh, shame to lose any of them, but I guess that one. Or, you know, we can cut some words here. So it's a bit of both. I mean, I knew there'd always be the photos, but until you actually see them on the page, it was hard to know 
but yes, for sure, we we had to kind of edit around the layout afterwards. But but it was always something in your head you knew, so you sort of write them well. If we have to lose this, like like some of these, you know, who wore what number, which is the section on the great quarterbacks, and and I think I wrote you know eight for these spreads originally, and there's only really six on the final pages. So I was like, all right, who are we going to cut? But uh, but you sort of know that going in, and yet you can't be completely prepared for it. So it's a bit of everything. Eric, um, you know, I was reading a, a short biography about you, and it talks about how you got interested <laughs> in sports, but not so much about writing. How did you get into <laughs> writing? Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, when I go to speaking classrooms, and I have them because I'm doing something tonight, uh, I have a series of these news books from my grade five, we call it grade five, you guys call it fifth grade. Um, that's one of the stranger differences between Canadians and Americans. Uh, news books I did when I was in the fifth grade, and it's like every night I am writing, you know, last night the Maple Leafs beat the New York Islanders. Tomorrow, the the Montreal Canadiens will play the and then are writing about the Argos and and but my own sports teams I played on, and then eventually there's a note from my teacher saying bring in newspaper clippings other than sports and she's written it in capital letters in red and underlined oh, it with funny. exclamation marks, and the next day my my story was this is Mayor David Crombie carrying the Grey Cup football to the Grey Cup dinner you know the mayor hopes there will be more <laughs> Grey Cup games in Toronto in the years to come. So I always clearly was was a sports fan, um, but the writing—it's I guess really it was when I got to university, and I realized not that I was a tremendous essay writer in university, but I realized that I liked the research and writing of an essay more than just cramming my head full of facts, hoping I studied the right things for a test. And honestly, that's where I thought, huh, maybe this is something I can do. And in my last year of university. My last couple of years of high school and my, my university years, I worked on the Toronto Blue, Jay, Blue Jays grounds crew. And this was from 1981 to 1985, the years when the Jays, you know, really went from the worst team in baseball to winning their first division championship. And I had an idea for a series that I wanted to run in, the, in a newspaper or on the radio, and I ended up writing for, for both, just to sort of, because it was the first time, you know, a Toronto team had made the playoffs, just to like, this day in history for the whole month of October of, you know, great moments in baseball playoff and World Series history. So I, I, I knew some of the people. I went to a small uh, university in a small town, Peterborough, not too far from Toronto, and I knew some of the radio station people. And I was like, I want to write this stuff for you. Do you like it? You know, here's a sample of what I've done. Um, you guys can, you know, air it on the, on the radio. Uh, I, I will do this for you for free if you will write a letter saying, you know, Eric Zweig has written these and they're great and you know, we think you should use them too. And I sent a million letters to radio stations all across the country. Um, there wasn't a ton of lead time for this, but the Toronto Sun a newspaper in Toronto ended up picking up the text as well. Um, and then we had to kind of, they had to say something like, Eric Zweig has written this for the Toronto Sun and checks radio in Peterborough so people in Peterborough wouldn't think they were just reading it out of the newspaper. Um, but that was really how it started, and I really didn't have any idea if I was any good at this. And, you know, well, then I started writing more and more. I got a job in a small newsroom in Toronto where I became the sports director, 
And then I got an idea to write a novel, and that was I quit my job. They had fired my boss, who I really liked working for, and the company was was always struggling. And I quit my job to write a book. It was a it was a novel set in the early days of pro hockey in Canada, <laughs> and it was you know a modest Canadian success. But it really like that kind of hooked me into the, the the NHL people who I'd said I, I worked for many years for the the small publishing arm for the NHL. So it all. It all it all was kind of just a, a lucky accident, and I always say like I feel like everyone I went to high school with has probably made more money in their chosen careers, but I've had more fun, so it's worked out okay. Yeah, I I I find myself saying that an awful lot about my uh, <laughs> my my years on the road as a musician. Um, yeah. But uh, the name of the book is "It's a Numbers Game Football." from National Geographic Kids, ESPN, and uh, the author, professional sports writer Eric Zweig, who is uh, my guest. Eric, it has been so much fun talking with you. We just have a minute or two left, and I want to yeah, thank you. Yeah, I can't you believe for... a half an hour has just flown by. Yeah, and, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, spending this time with me and the listeners, but also uh, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Yeah, the easiest is it's ericzweig.com, just my name, all one word, E-R-I-C-Z-W-E-I-G. I I think I said the Canadian Z on my previous interview. But (laughs) uh, ericzweig.com, there's there's stories I post about sports history, mostly hockey, but baseball and football, too. Um, Lists of the books I've done, a little bit of my background. Um, Yeah, that's, that's your best bet. Well, Eric, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Good. Thanks very much. Take care. That was Eric Zweig. He is a uh, sports writer and the author of a new uh, team-up of uh, National Geographic Kids and ESPN for young readers. It's called It's a Numbers Game Football, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Straight ahead.
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show oh, Hi, yeah. this is Joe Biden from the Blue Lions and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I play football for Temple University, and it's the truth, see? Don't keep asking me, did you really play? Yes, I really played. At one time, I had a beautiful body. I weighed, uh, I weighed 192 pounds, and they made me a fullback. Now, before you start tuning up, let me get my story finished. <laughs> No, the truth of the matter is that uh, it didn't take much to play for t- Temple at the time that I was playing because we had lost 27 games in a row. And uh, we played against real weak teams. I mean, teams like uh, Muhlenberg, Lafayette, um, what's it, Gettysburg, yeah. Get- they all beat us. They all killed us. Especially Hofstra. Hofstra beat us 900 or nothing <laughs> in their street clothes, man. They wiped us out. You know? and it- Vassar wouldn't even play us. That's how bad we were, man. Get out of here. We don't even want you on our schedule. So I'm going to give you some insight as to what goes on in the loser's locker room. We're going to play against Hofstra, which is a really terrible school. They killed us every year, boy. And when you play for a team like Temple, you got nothing to do except pace up and down in the locker room. And you say to yourself, boy, I sure do hope I don't get hurt. (laughs) I almost made a tackle last week. I must have been crazy out there or something. Nobody else is trying out there. I don't know why I got to be the one all the time. I play on the second team, which is actually the nut squad. Now, these are guys that can play, but they're afraid. They don't want to go out there, so they do nutty things. Like they put the helmet on sideways, looking out through the ear hole. <laughs> guys got on scuba diving suits, no shoe and an ice skate, you know, walking around. <laughs> second team is very quiet, because they're going to go out, scared to death. That's what they are. Catholics on the squad always seem to have something special going, because they're over in the corner, Dominic. Father, please, I'm not Catholic, but I figure if it works for him, yeah, me too, Father. He's a friend of mine. He told me how to do this. Here, please accept me. And we'll pace it up and down. First team's getting last rights. And we're warming. The coach is drawing trick plays on the blackboard because he has no personnel whatsoever, and he knows he's got to work with something that'll trick him. You know. All right, you guys, listen up. Uh, when they come out of the huddle, line up backwards. <laughs> And just let them run right over you, and then we'll raise the flag and everything while you're singing the national anthem, all right? We'll get pity somewhere, I'll tell you that. Then comes the athletic director. says, I'd like to talk to the boys. What? I'd like to talk to the boys. Okay. May I have your attention, please, fellas? This is uh, the athletic director, Mr. Ernie Cassell. It's the man that's responsible for giving most of you the scholarships. He'd like to talk to you, Mr. Cassell. Thank you very much, Coach Macris. 
Well, boys, here we are again. We're going out and have another fine football game. I'm going to go out and play against Hofstra, because you already know that. You know, they beat us last year 900 to nothing. The year before that, they beat us 900 to nothing. I was over in their locker room, had a chance to look at some of their players, and Christ, they're bigger than they were last year. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, I know. Fellas, I looked out in the stands, we only have 12 people out there. And this is homecoming. Just want to say a few words to you. This is our first game on television. We want to keep this television contract going because this is the only way we can make some money to buy a little scuba diving suits and uh, snowshoes and ice skates for all the weird old squads here. So we're going to say to you, please, remember that you're on TV. By that I mean, don't worry about winning the game as much as we want you to be concerned with the fact that while you're out there on the field, we're going to ask you, please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the football field. Because if you're out there digging and scratching, people at home are going to turn you right off, and we're going to lose the contract. So please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the field. Now, we're going to pass out these affidavits and ask you to sign them, saying that you will not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a football field, all right? So we signed them, and we went out, you know, and I'm with the second team, and... <laughs> First team's got the ninth time for last right. Hofstra came out of the locker room. I had never seen guys so big before in my life. They had just brought 11 guys with them. Smallest guy on the squad was 6'1", 490 pounds. He was a halfback. Ran 109-1, had long teeth hanging out of his mouth. Every one of them just had one eye in the center of the forehead. The coach was beating them out onto the field with a ball and chain, hitting them smack in the back of the head. Get out of here! Come on, Igor. What's good, Igor? First team said, oh, God, don't look at him. If you don't look at him, you won't get scared. Second team went crazy. Oh, guys are ripping their clothes off. I can't play naked. Oh. Throw some meat at them. Maybe they'll eat that. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. Oh, first thing we did, we run a pipe. There's a fire of death. Eleven Hofstra guys still standing. Oh, Eleven gentlemen out cold on the ground. Don't you know I get the nut squad naked or not? Get out there. <laughs> we're carrying them off, and as we're carrying them off, I swear I heard one temple guy on the ground say, Can we get up now? No, you move. I'll punch you right in the mouth. So help me. Get out of here. All right, get out there, second team, let's go. <laughs> we got a quarterback that's 2-1. All right, run the kamikaze play on one. All right, kamikaze. Cosby up the middle, the whole team off the field. Break. We break out of the huddle, the quarterback goes up to shift. One, two, ping, gives me the ball. I take one step and I look and there's a hole. And I had never seen a hole. <laughs> Playing for Temple. And I said, God, a hole. I 
turn to the people in the stand. Look at this, a hole! You see this? Said, yeah, hurry up, run! I said, wait a minute, it may be a mirage. You can't tell. I said, well, I better get moving. I'll never forget it. There was a big hole with a defensive man on the ground. I planted one foot, stepped over him. When I did, he stood up and hit me. <laughs> and the pain was tremendous. And I threw down the ball and I said, oh, I've been hit in the... You'd better not touch. And here is everybody's while you're on the football here. So I grabbed my head. And I said, oh, said what's the matter? I said, I can't take nothing until they bring a commercial on, all right? Thank you and good night. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!